to the Israelites in Egypt and redeemed and saved God's people, of whom if we're hoping in Jesus, we are heirs of those promises and part of that people. The way God saved our people then, the way that He functions and that He works, is the same God who redeems and saves us in, in Jesus. And so there are things that we can learn about our God, about His character, about ourselves, as we look back at this, uh, this, this first uh, redemption, maybe uh, this you might want to call it the original advent, um, potentially. Um, and so, uh, we're going to continue our, our look. Uh, we'll be in Exodus uh, 19 this morning. If you want to follow along um, in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, um, that'll be in, on page 60 uh, and 61 this morning. Um, uh, but... Uh, something just to, to think about, to think about coming and visiting. Um, uh, sometimes as, as we think about uh, Christmas, uh, the thought of people coming and anticipating that, of their visiting you, can be very exciting. Of family members who come and who bring presents and gifts uh, for their people or for their, their, their family. Uh, or maybe it, it's, uh, it's just, maybe they don't bring anything, but they bring themselves. And you've only been able to interact with them over a video screen for the longest time. And they come and visit around the holidays. And you're able to embrace and feel and hug and smell that person. You could only feel like plastic on the, on the screen. Um, some people... Uh, think about um, uh, if you do Santa at your house, some people get excited about Santa coming and this, this, this man visiting your home. But, but for some people, the, the idea of Santa coming is very scary. This is the case for um, uh, one of our family friends. Um, when their little, when their daughter was very young, the idea that some strange man that she had never known or seen, when she was asleep at night, would enter into her house without coming through the door, um, and would come and be doing things in her living room and in her kitchen, scared her to death. A strange man in my house that I don't know what. What's going on here? And it, it, it produced not the emotion of excitement and anticipation and joy, but fear and dread. And so Santa does not come to their home anymore. <laughs> um, but sometimes the idea of coming and of visiting can be scary. Sometimes... It may help if somebody says, oh, well, well, just wait. Wait until you get to know them better. Aunt Jeannie's coming, but you've never met her. Oh, but she's so sweet. And, and as you get to know her, you'll love her. She's so kind. And you're just unsure. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Maybe will I ever get the smell of her perfume off of me and her lipstick come off of my cheeks? Sometimes the... The, the, the thinking about and someone visiting and you meeting them and encountering them can be very scary. 
what we're going to realize here is that as we're looking in this, this passage this morning, remember Israel was anticipating and hoping and looking forward to when the good news of the announcement came that God would come and deliver them. He had come and visited them. We saw there were places that we've already seen there was great excitement and rejoicing. There were some places where they doubted whether he was going to do what he said he's going to do. This is now the chapter and the section where Israel meets their God. And they are full of fear. So let's look and see. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. Yahweh called to him out of the mountain, uh, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that Yahweh had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people back to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people, uh, told the words of the people to Yahweh, Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on the mountain, uh, on Mount Sinai, in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care uh, not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to Yahweh to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to Yahweh consecrate themselves, lest Yahweh break out against them. And Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And Yahweh said to him, Go down and come up, 
Bring an Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, lest he break out against them. So Yahweh went down to the people and told them. Then God will give them the Ten Commandments, and we want to pick up with the people's response in verse 18 of chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Father, your visiting your people can be a terrifying event. We pray that as we look into this encounter, that we would learn much about you, much about ourselves, and the hope that we have that you have visited and come to redeem. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God's coming to His people is a a fearful and terrifying thing. Maybe as in this encounter, in this interaction that they have, we can learn something about about God. We can learn something about ourselves and and it may help us to to gain perspective on, on Him. Who it is that is actually visiting us. Is fear the appropriate response? Was it the appropriate response then? Is it now, what do we learn? What do we know or understand about when God visits? There's several things we can learn and, and see about God and ourselves as we look back in this, this, this passage. One thing is that when God visits and when God comes to His people, there's something very important that we learn and pick up here in this, this passage. One thing that is very apparent is that when, what God reveals as He comes to meet with His people is that God isn't one of us. God isn't one of us. It's very clear here, isn't it? Look in verses 4 and 5. One of the things that God is pointing them back to is reminding them of these great acts of redemption that He did in Egypt. In verse 4, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is reminding them of, of already how his visiting, what it's revealed about who he is. Remember how he brought his people out of Egypt with these great mighty acts, these 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 plagues, these acts of judgment, but also how he differentiated his, his people uh, from the people of Egypt and how he redeemed and saved them. Those mighty acts showed that he was the one true and living God who had the power to overthrow the, the, the ruler of the, one of the, the most powerful nations in the world at the time. But notice also what God says. He says that all the earth is His. None of us can say that. 
This would be true even if one nation conquered all of the, the earth and sea territory on the planet. God could still say, all the earth is mine because he's not like us. He's greater. He's bigger. He's more powerful. It's his because he created it. It's his because he owns it. But notice also the differences that show up here that show us that God is not like us. Look, look in verse 9 at what, what happens, the way that he describes. He says, look, Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. One of the reasons that, that the cloud is, is coming, because something that we realize is, is God is not like us. One of the uh, um, uh, catechism questions that we teach our kids is, is uh, uh, pointing some of this out. And it talks about how God does not have a body like us. Now, he took on flesh when he became uh, a man, but God is a, is, is a spirit. And so the people didn't see his, his body. God gave them uh, the cloud, the fire to see, and they heard him. But there was no body to look at. Why? Because God isn't like us. He is not a, a, a creature. But notice as well, when God shows up on this mountain, have you ever, when anybody has ever visited you, has this occurred? Listen. On the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. Thunder, lightning, clouds, trumpets, smoke, trembling, quaking. Has anyone's presence ever caused those things to happen when you've encountered them? God is wanting to show something significant. I am not like you. I am the all-powerful one. I am the mighty one. My presence makes a significant impact in the world. And you must realize and understand my greatness, my glory, my majesty. Um, trying to think of a way for us to understand what this may have have felt like to experience it. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a, a waterfall and seen the water coming down. There's this great roar. The, the mist is coming up. But sometimes if it's a powerful one, you can, you can feel your body shaking as the power of the water falls down. Or have you ever heard thunder that was so loud your, your whole house shook as it boomed? Well, this past week, uh, a couple of weeks, there's been fires going on in um, in Los Angeles. And there's this one picture on uh, CNN of, uh, we actually took a trip out there a couple of years ago, and 405 is a, is a big, highly traveled road in Los Angeles. And 
um, they were having to shut down sections of it because of how the the hot and and the the heat and the the fire was coming so close to the road, coming off of these hills and these mountains around the highway. So I have a I'm, hold on, Lance. We're, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a picture of this fire that's on this mountain on the 405, and at the same time. Uh, we're going to hear a trumpet blast. It's a shofar, which would have been this long ram's horn that is what they're describing was heard as, as God was present and He's just talking. This would have been used in Israel back in the day to announce several different things. Maybe the, the announcing the coming of a king of greatness entering into His presence or to, to incite fear as they announce a battle charge getting ready to occur. But think about picturing what's going on, seeing this fire engulfing this mountain, smoke going up, and hearing this sound get louder and louder and louder. God is wanting to show something. I am not like you. And I'm using the most intimidating things in nature that you can experience so that you will know I am the great one. I am the mighty one. I am the powerful one. And you are not. This is who is coming to meet with you. But also what we, we learn is, is God isn't like us. But the other thing that, that comes, comes up in this passage is that we're dirty. We're dirty. Notice in verse 10 and 11 what God instructs Moses to tell the people. Remember he said, I'm going to meet with you on the mountain. You need to get the people ready. So this is what he says. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Uh, And in verses 14 and, and 15, it goes on and says, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Uh, do not go near a woman. Now, I'll explain the consecration stuff. One of the, the things about the, the woman aspect of it is to, to think about um, uh, sometimes if, if you think uh, about preparation, 
I've been wanting to get your, your mind and your intention focused on something very important. There might be normal things that are, that are good and appropriate, but if you want to remove uh, distractions for a particular preparation for an important time, you might would, uh, would fast from certain things, like, like food. When we think about fasting, it's to give us a, a focused um, time of our engagement and dependency upon God. That's one of the things that's being described here about this abstaining from, uh, from sexual relations here. But the other side of, of God talking about consecrating his people, of, of setting them apart, of preparing them in a special way because they're coming into his presence. He's, he's telling them, look, you've got to wash. You need to make yourselves clean. There would have been certain things that they would have gone through, but one that it tells us is that Remember, we read there's over 600,000 people that have been delivered from Egypt. And God says now here in the desert, in the wilderness, you need to make yourselves clean. You need to wash all of your garments. Why? Because you're coming in to the presence of your holy and righteous God. Our kids like to play outside. Sometimes we send them outside right before we eat just to give us some Time to focus and get things ready so that they're out in the yard. And usually when they come back in, one of the first things we say is, hey, go into the bathroom and wash your hands. We're getting ready to eat. That doesn't sound like a a bad request. I mean, what are we saying? You've been outside playing. Your hands have gotten dirty. You're going to eat. Just clean it up to keep you safe and just for everybody's best interest. Now, imagine this. Your picture, your Christmas dinner and Christmas gathering you, you may have here in a couple of weeks. And all of your guests begin to show up. They haven't been outside playing in the yard. They show up on your front door. And as soon as they come in, the first thing you say to all of your guests is, would you please go to the bathroom and wash your hands, please? What would they be thinking? What if it was more than that? What if you said, not just wash your hands, but could you, could you cleanse your whole body? And, and while you're at it, the, the washing machine is upstairs. Could you also wash your clothes? What, what is being communicated there? You are unclean. There's, we, we are clean. You aren't. There's some preparations that you haven't done, and in order to enter into our presence, you need to make yourselves uh, cleaned up, gussied up a little bit. They would be highly offended, would they not? How would you feel if that was what you were told? Now, you may think it different if you were going and somebody had some incredible disease and you needed to purify yourself for that. But here, what is God saying? In order to come into my presence, you need to wash. Is it because the dust and sand is going around? I mean, God, come on. You're the one kicking up all the the shakiness and the smoke. But no. Notice what God says. It's to point them and to remind them that their dirtiness comes from the inside. It's their sin. Notice in verses uh, um, in verse 20 of chapter 12. Then God, one of the things that he's saying to them is that one of the reasons that he's coming to them 
In verse 20, Moses reminds them that God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. God is acknowledging and seeing in the hearts and the lives of His people, and He wants them to realize that when He comes near, they're beginning to see, hopefully, in light of His holiness and His righteousness, that their sin must be dealt with, that they must realize that their sin, their dirtiness, is exposed when God visits and they compare themselves to Him. They would have already been aware of this because if you remember, the, the tenth plague, the tenth punishment, the act of judgment was what? The killing of the firstborn in Egypt. But what did God tell the people of Israel? In order for my angel to pass over you, you need to mark your homes with the blood. What's he saying? It's not just Egypt who deserves my judgment. You are sinners as well. And you, Israel, need my deliverance. You're not just being delivered because you're Israel. The only hope you have is that your sin will be dealt with. That the blood that I provide will make you clean and pass over that judgment. Here, Israel comes face to face with it again. As God visits, it's not just that He is not like us. It's that we begin to realize in the presence of a holy, righteous, glorious God, He wants us to know and understand, you have sin. You are dirty. And it needs to be dealt with if you ever hope to come into my presence. But also what we see here is that even with this cleansing that we have that goes on here, the washing of the clothes and the garments, uh, we see not just that God isn't one of us, not just that, that we're dirty, but that we can't come near. We cannot come near to Him. Look in verse 12. God, rem- God sets this up. You shall set limits for the people saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether man or beast. God's saying, look, it's so important that you cannot touch me or come near to me outside of these prescribed limits I've set, that even if someone were to dare to cross the line, you shall not go over and pursue them to to enact the punishment. You'll either throw rocks at them or you'll shoot arrows. Because even if you cross over, you too will die. This doesn't matter if you're a beast or if you're a person. You cannot come near. In verse 21, God's already given them this instruction. And then as He's meeting and talking with Moses, He takes a break to remind them of that again. Did you notice it? As He tells Moses, hey, go back down, Moses, even though you've already come up here. And you've gone down and you've told them not to come near. And now you've come up again. I need you to go back down again to remind them, do not break through. Do not come through. Because if you come through, I will break out against you and you will perish. Moses is like, look, nobody's going to come through. You already told us that. God says, no, go down and tell them again. It needs to be clear. You cannot come near to me. And the people 
The people realize this. It doesn't take them long to pick up on it. Notice in verses 18 and 19. And when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Remember, one of the things that Moses said to them back up in uh, verse 13 of chapter 19 is that when the trumpet sounds, then you can come up. You can come up just to the foot of the mountain. Nobody's going to come up on the mountain. You can come to the foot of it. But as the people get closer and they hear the thunder and they smell the fire and they hear the God speaking to Moses, they get afraid. And now they back up. They were invited up closer, but the closer they get, the more they realize we can't come near and they get away. So much so that in verse 21, it says the people stood far off. It's like they're as far away as they can possibly get because they're beginning to pick up and realize we can't come near. Imagine this picture that we just saw. Say you're in L.A. on the 405 and you see this fire and this blaze going on. And you were there for vacation and you happen to have your picnic basket and your blanket in the back of your truck or your van. How many of you would be like, oh, man. This is awesome. This is the perfect time for us to get all those goodies up and let's run up and get as close as we can to that mountain and sit as a family and we'll enjoy a nice time of fellowship and a meal right here. This would be awesome. Said nobody on that road. Nobody's thinking that. Because it brings in fear to you and you realize I do not want to go close to this. I can't. I will die. Well, how is this going to work? Because God has just told them in verse 4 of chapter 19 that what he's doing is that, look, you've seen yourselves what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's the purpose and the intention of God bringing people to himself. He even says, part of what I'm doing in my tenderness of redeeming you like an eagle would is, is young. I'm bringing you to myself. You're going to be my treasured possession. How will, how will this work, God? You're not like us. We're dirty. We're sinful. We cannot come close. How is this relationship going to function? The people understand. We need someone. We need a mediator. We need someone who can come between us and God because this isn't going to work. I, I'm too afraid in my sin and my dirtiness to approach God. Do you notice they picked up on that? That was their request in verses uh, 19 and 20 of chapter 20. They come to Moses and they say, look, we're afraid. You speak to us. You speak to us and we'll listen. But do not do not let God speak to us. Because if He does, we will die. In chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, as this is being recounted again, God speaks and says what the people are picking up on and what they're realizing is good. They are understanding appropriately part of what God was trying to communicate. And he's saying, Moses, yes, you can be that mediator. But you know what? It wasn't the people's idea. 
This has been going on the whole time. Remember what we saw of God raising up and bringing Moses to be the Redeemer. And the whole time, this interaction, what's been happening? God has been the one who says, Moses, you come up. I want to talk to you. Moses, you go down and speak to the people. Moses, you come back up. God is, is providing the way and the means for an unrighteous and dirty people to have fellowship and a relationship with a holy and righteous and glorious God. It's through His provision. In fact, if you look at it over and over again, God's the ones making the orders. Moses, go. Moses, come. Moses, go speak to the people. Moses, go protect the people. But think about it like this. Is, is this an improvement? Is this the improvement on the relationship God has with His people? Remember what it was like back in, in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve are fellowshipping in the garden with God? Well, after their sin, they're kicked out and they're not allowed back into the garden, back into God's place, back into the intimacy that they experienced before. And there's brokenness and there's, there's pain and there's struggle. I mean, it's an improvement now we're actually seeing God up to this point. We've just seen God talk with a, a person here, a person there interacting and beginning to establish his covenant work. But here God is, is establishing a people for himself that are going to bear his name, that are going to be his treasured possession. And now he is speaking to almost a million people saying, I am your God. You are my people. But the interaction they want to stand at a distance. They're fearful. They're afraid. Moses, you go. If we hear him, if we interact too much with him, we may die. Think about what we're celebrating right now. What your decorations might be like. The songs you sing. How many people here have a fiery mountain set up in their house? How many people on your, on your front porch have smoke billowing out of your front porch and the sounds of, of thunder and that trumpet playing all the time to commemorate and remember God's coming with His people? For some of us, that might be scarier than some of the Halloween stuff that people set up. Anybody want to come over to our house for dinner? And hear the shofar? But no, what, what do you have at your house? Maybe a manger? A baby? How many people are afraid to approach a baby? Does a baby intimidate you? Maybe if you haven't cared one for one before. But innocent, tender, close welcoming. We can't come near to God, can we? But what has He done? And what do we celebrate now? When we couldn't come near, He came near to us. No longer in the shaky mountain and thunder and lightning, but as a baby, as a man, we're dirty. 
We can't come into His presence. But He comes to us and He becomes dirty for us. Taking on our sin. Dying in our place to redeem and save us. God comes near. We're not like Him, but He becomes one of us. He becomes dirty for us that He might redeem us. And now, what does the Scriptures tell us about our relationship with God? Listen to this from the book of Hebrews. Looking back on this first advent, you might call it. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure what was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. That means a party. And to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for justice. Jesus' blood cries out, you are forgiven. They were afraid to approach. You come not to a place of fear, but to a place of celebration because of what Jesus has done for you. Earlier in, uh, in Hebrews, in chapter 10, it says, now we have confidence to enter into the holy places, to enter into the presence of God. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for you. Fear was appropriate then. But the God who incites fear in His presence has not changed. What has changed? Us. Jesus came to save and redeem and change us so that we, in delight, can enter into the presence of our God who has brought us near by coming, by becoming one of us, by taking on our dirt and our filth, and dying to save and redeem us. God has come to His people. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You that Jesus, our new and better mediator, has made way for us to come into Your presence. And that we now celebrate and delight the work that You have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And later on in in Exodus, in chapter 24... There's this account of, uh, of Moses up on the mountain again, but this time he invites some people to come with him. He invites 70 elders and Aaron and Aaron's sons. But what needs to happen before is sacrifices occur. Blood needs to be shed in order to, to uh, atone for the people's sin so that they can enter into God's presence. But an interesting thing happens on the mountain. One of the offerings that they had was a peace offering. And in the Old Testament... Some of the offerings were burned up, but not for the peace offering. With the peace offering, the people actually sat there and they ate. They ate a portion of what was sacrificed. Moses and the elders and Aaron's sons, as they go up onto the mountain, it describes that they sat in the presence of God and they ate and they drank 
and they did not die. They experienced right then and there the fellowship and peace that that offering secured for them as they feasted, as they ate and they drank in the presence of their God. This morning we see